I'm Julie Davis, and on today's Back Your People, I'm talking with Laura Smith, one of our associate directors from our, our employment team, about malingering in the workforce. So we will look at what is malingering in the workforce, how common is it, what are the signs and red flags to look out for in your business, and what is the process of dealing with malingering. So if you like the podcast, please rate and review, and as ever, thanks for listening. So Laura, great to see you today. It feels a while since we've done a podcast. It has, yes. Our turn again in the rotation. So hopefully this is an interesting topic for everyone to pick up on. It absolutely is. So we're talking about malingering. It's interesting, really. Malingering, I think it's a term that's used really from a HR perspective. And I think it can easily be misunderstood. So I think a starting point is what is it and how do we describe it? It's a common word that's thrown around, but it can have a slightly different meaning. And specifically, malingering in the workplace is essentially a falsification or exaggeration of an injury or illness to gain a benefit. So in this case, that's your statutory sick pay or it could be company sick pay. So, I mean, how common is it, Laura? Do you get many clients that ring up and say, I've got a problem with one of my employees malingering? And do they actually use the term malingering when they speak to you? It very much varies. It depends on the on the client. So some will ring up recognising that this is an issue, a cultural issue, and that it's something that they want to, you know, specific advice on for a specific case of how to tackle it. And others might just ring up with a query relating to poor attendance for someone and actually it becomes part of their knowledge by accident almost, the fact that there seems to be a certain pattern or there seems to be a particular issue and then that then feeds into whether or not it's actually intentional, i.e. malingering or not. In terms of businesses, what are the red flags? You're talking about perhaps, you know, poor attendance. Are we talking about repeat patterns of, say, the same illness that's given for reasons for absence? Exactly. So the signs generally would be patterns. So if, for example, every Monday there tends to be a problem or if there's, you know, after a holiday, they seem to tag on a couple of extra days, then those are the sorts of patterns that you'd expect to see whereby you can actually check your records and go back. So it does highlight the importance of you paper trail and having your records up to date and your attendance record in particular but if you don't know sort of like late starts even or if you don't have a correlation between your holiday rota and your absence record then those are the, the key tools that you can use really to see whether or not this is a case of malingering or someone with poor attendance generally and it may well be genuine issues that they're dealing with for example. I mean it's interesting really when we talk about this because particularly since covid not so much in the transport industry, but there are a lot of businesses out there where people work from home. So I suppose it would be interesting to look at the cases of malingering that are actually perhaps brought to a tribunal as to whether that's reduced, because I would say it's probably harder to put your finger on malingering with those people working from home. Absolutely. Yeah. I think where you've got your day's absences or, you know, people being unavailable for work, that's where it would be noted as a, an actual absence. So it's easy for you to then track the pattern, track the attendance record on that basis where someone working from home might not necessarily be carrying out their work to their full potential or ability and you wouldn't necessarily know that absolutely so that may well then put itself into a different category more of a performance management if you think that they're not meeting their targets or the standards of work for more office-based staff for example but in the transport sector that we obviously advise on predominantly the type of malingering that we come across relating to driving staff for example i would say is the lion's share So that's people physically not attending for work and the varying reasons given. And that does make sort of identifying attendance records and their patterns, reasons for absence, a bit more easier to identify. But it's making a conscious effort to actually look for it. 
And particularly from the employer's point of view, you know, what are the pitfalls in addressing this? And what is the process actually for dealing with malingering? To start with, the process, ideally, to start to identify whether it is malingering or otherwise would be to actually meet the employee in question to discuss the reasons for their absence. If there is a pattern that's noted and that's being picked up on, then absolutely have that information available in order to deal with that with them. But begin by just asking about the nature of their absence. And often having that face-to-face contact will actually deal with it sufficiently because their accountability at that point is being questioned and they have to actually provide a reason for the absences that they've had. So if it is every Monday, is there a different reason every Monday? Is it the same reason? And depending on what you get for that, you know, if it's toothache one week, headache the next a sore hand the other, then that to me would raise suspicion, i.e. there seems to be something different on varying weeks, but the pattern remains the same. That's where you would pick up more of a sign for malingering. If it's a repeat issue, potentially we've then got to look at whether it is more of a genuine concern and you may then decide, well, look, either for the right reasons or not, we could potentially be looking at referring them to occupational health to say, this seems to be a recurring issue putting aside one moment for the fact that it's every Monday when you've had a a nice weekend but that might be sufficient to either obviously dealing with a genuine issue is different and that's exactly the right process to take but to try and tackle malingering we'd probably suggest occupational health to see whether or not there's actually something more underlying that's causing the issue and that in itself might actually ward off the employee thinking well the employer's actually on to the fact that I have a pattern and that that's something that seems to be happening. Absolutely I mean we're talking about malingering in the process here but what we mustn't forget is the implication of the other employees who can also identify that malingering is happening and that's an issue in the workplace isn't it as well because those employees are thinking you know you can't turn a blind eye to this person surely you can see what they're doing and so you've got to balance then as an employer because you have a duty then to address the malingering because otherwise it's going to unsettle those who are loyal, who do turn up for work on time and, you know, don't undertake, you know, advantages. Exactly. That is a reason to tackle it, which is why, you know, it is a useful topic to cover because it's showing your other staff that you're on top of it and it's showing that you have processes in place to deal with it. You don't want it to become a cultural thing where people can get away with just calling in sick for nothing. You know, you sick pay and company sick pay is there for genuine cases. It's important to make sure that you're on top of it. Yeah. And when we talk about the process, Laura, is the process the same for all types of malingering or are there any differentiations? It very much is a case of, you know, dealing with each occasion on its own merit in each case because there will be genuine cases. We have to be alive to that. And so just because you may see a pattern doesn't necessarily mean that there's a genuine underlying reason for it. So undercovering that as part of a meeting initially, a fact finding, if you will, would is important that's just always your starting point for either or case but there will be some instances whereby you're able to see the dishonesty and obviously in that scenario you're potentially uncovering a dishonesty about an illness and this naturally would breach the trust and confidence of the employment relationship so that could result in gross misconduct so it can be that serious depending on where your investigations take you and on the other hand If you have a repeat sort of Monday morning offenders and that's an issue, dealing with it through your attendance policy and potentially issuing a written warning might be more appropriate. It's just about the issue in itself and how serious the issue does unravel. And you can only do that by carrying out a proper process and investigation. And just touching on something that you mentioned right at the beginning, which was you sort of said it was a cultural I don't know if you use the word cultural challenge, but I'm going to use that word because 
it's a culture of an organisation as to how you handle this. Yes. Do you deal with it up front? Do you let it go? And it's the message that it's sending out to everybody else. Yeah, I think the take home from that really is consistency. So if you do believe that there could be odd occasions, don't turn a blind eye to it. If it's an odd person, deal with it appropriately. Don't allow it to become where, as you said before, someone picks up on the fact that they don't work each Monday or they turn in late or whatever it may be and think, well, I'm going to do that because then that's the risk of not addressing addressing it but when you do address it make sure it's a consistent approach and that you know we do set the same parameters for each member of staff obviously the facts will vary so dealing with it sensitively because it could well be turned into a genuine case is important and which is why you know taking advice on that sort of thing is so important Absolutely. Okay. So well, we're up for time, but what are the three key takeaways, Laura? Keep good records. Make sure your record keeping's up to date for your attendance policy. That enables you to note any patterns easily and to be able to cross-reference that. And it's also good evidence to present to your employees. So if they accuse you of targeting them or picking on that person, for example, Provide if you've got the evidence the noted down. down. The oh, paper trails everything. <laughs> comes into every podcast, but it's so important. It does. And second takeaway would be to, you know, meet the employee informally to actually fact find. Don't jump the gun. Don't assume that you know all the facts. Carry out that initial fact finding stage to ask the appropriate questions and find out a bit more about why they're absent. And I'd say finally, ensure that a fair process is carried out if you are going to go through with it. Don't assume that you've got that information and that it's case closed and it's a simple solution. Make sure you follow your process similar to that of a disciplinary process, you know, whereby you gather your information and then if appropriate and you do believe there's been dishonesty then that would be put forward similar to a disciplinary matter and it would be dealt with in the appropriate way. Okay, super. Well, thank you so much. That was a whistle-stop tour on malingering. If that's a picture interest and you think there's somebody in your business that may be malingering, then please give Laura Smith a call and she'll talk you through the process. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.